For those that remain in the auditorium and are watching online, please take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Leviticus. Once again, Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 through 16. Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 through 16. The title for the sermon this morning is Reverence. Reverence. As we will note in the passage, the main point at first reading seems to be that any ancient Israelite, or any Israelite at all, was not supposed to ingest blood. Seems like something you wouldn't have to have a prohibition against, but uh, God certainly lays this out for his people, and we know that they recognize the seriousness of this because all the way in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council as Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ of the four things that the Jerusalem Council wishes to relay to the Gentiles half of those two of those are found in this passage do not eat things that have been strangled we looked at that just previous in this chapter and then do not eat blood. But as we dive a little bit deeper, as we want to do always with God's Word, I think what is the basis of this passage is actually this concept of reverence. What do we mean when we say the word reverence? Reverence is to treat something or someone as of being of the utmost importance, to give the highest level of respect for something or someone. Reverence then is only rightly applied to God, but certainly in our lives every day we reverence different things. We show what we hold to be important by how we live, how we spend our time and our resources. And I believe that we are always in danger of forgetting what is of utmost importance. We quickly forget and are in need of constant reminders as to what is actually of the highest level of importance. Now there's a few reasons for that. One of the reasons is how our brains work. It'll never cease to amaze me that we can forget our wedding anniversary, but until the day we die, we will always remember the buns and things jingle. (laughs) Buns and things, everybody. Why does that stick in our head And we can't remember the day when we gave our vows. So part of that, I think, is how we are wired, and we constantly then are in need of reminders, what is actually of utmost importance. I think another reason why we struggle to remember what is of utmost importance, why we oftentimes forget what is of highest value, is because of our prioritization of things, how we prioritize things. We do not, as much as we should, prioritize God, who he is, and the things that he has done for us. We far too often prioritize lesser things practically as being of greater importance than they actually are. But I think a third reason why we struggle to remember what is of highest value and of utmost importance is because every generation struggles 
to pass on to the next generation. Who, not what. Every generation struggles to pass on to the next generation who and not what. We love tangibility. We love rules and regulations. We love stuff that we can see and touch and hear and experience. We love those types of things. And so we gravitate towards the what. We gravitate towards the rules and the regulations and the lists and the stuff. And we are tempted daily to forget the who behind the what. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, early on in that book, sits down with the nation of Israel. If you can imagine, it's sort of like a fireside chat with Grandpa Mo. Moses gathers the people before they enter the land, knowing that he will not go with them. and gives them the book that we know as Second Law, Deuteronomy. He says in chapter 6, God is one, and you are to serve him above all else. You are to hold him as of highest importance. And then he gives some what's. Have his word always before you. Daily remind yourself of who he is and what he has done and what he has spoken. And then towards the end of that chapter he says, because the time will come when your children will ask, why do we do these things? Why do we not do these other things? Why are we weird? To put it simply, we're not like the people around us. Why these what's? And he says, when your children come to you and ask you those things, always point them back to the who. Because we were slaves in Egypt. And the God, the only God, Yahweh, he rescued us. And so parents and grandparents, as we move into Father's Day next Sunday, always be aware that your goal as a parent is not to simply pass on to your children the what, but your goal is as parents and grandparents to introduce to your children and remind them of the who, God. You're introducing them to a person not just giving them a list of rules. And so as mentioned, we know that the nation of Israel took this passage seriously. But was it always backed up by their relationship with God? Was it always flowing out of relationship with Him? Or did it simply become rules and regulations? And so reverence. Well, follow along with me, if you would, as I read Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 through 16. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood 
that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood, is bl- its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. This is the word of God. Did you get it? God makes the point numerous times in this short section. Don't eat blood. That's what he's saying to his nation of Israel. And the price for doing so is heavy indeed. But what is God actually saying through this? I believe there are at least four realities that come out of this text, the key verse of which is verse 11. But notice that this whole section is about reverence for God. God as creator and sustainer, of life and provider of atonement for salvation. The reason behind these rules and regulations is a person. It's not just the rules and regulations. Don't eat blood. Got it. Why are we not to do this? It is because of the individual, the one who has made life, who has created all that has blood and life It is the one who has offered this as a means of satisfaction for sin, as a means of atonement for sin, of covering of sin, who has provided this so that sinful people can dwell in his presence and his presence can dwell among sinful people. And so notice in verses 10, the first part of 11, verses 12 through 16, There is a reverence for life, an overarching reverence for life. Anyone, whether native-born Israeli or any foreigner, any sojourner, should not treat lightly blood. Because blood is symbolic of life. And life should not be treated cavalierly. Life should not be treated lightly. Life should be treated very seriously. There is a sanctity about life. It stems from, originates from, is provided by God. He is the one that brings life to things. It is his gift, his prerogative. And it is not to be taken then lightly because it is not ours to take. Notice in 10 and 12, it brackets this reality. 10 and 12 are almost identical verses. And so the prohibition is repeated so that it is brought across as very serious. Reverence, life. Life is from God, for God, and is going to God, and is not ours to take. But then in verses 13 and 14, even in hunting, An Israeli or a foreigner is out hunting. They're on their own, presumably. And when they take some game, when they uh, 
are able to kill an animal for food. In that moment, almost immediately, their attention is brought to worship. Even by themselves, outside of the covenant community, they are still worshiping God because they have taken life, life that is God's. God created it. And so the seriousness of it is not lost even on the hunter by himself. And so he bleeds out the animal and covers that blood with earth. Not in some offering of sacrifice necessarily, and not because the animal has some spirit that they are thankful for, but then recognition of the one who gave life to that animal. Life that they have taken so that their life can be sustained. And so all over this passage is reverence for life. But notice it's key in on verse 11. There is also reverence for God's sovereignty. Notice in verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. A key concept in Scripture and it is found here in Leviticus 17.11, but it goes on, and I have given it for you. Who gave this to the nation of Israel? Who provided a way for them to have relationship with God? Relationship that they have broken. Relationship that they repeatedly break. Who is the one that initiated relationship? Who is the one that initiated grace and mercy? Who is the one that defines love? Whose initiative? Who took the step towards? Who condescended? Who came to us when we could not, would not, and did not want to come to him? God did. And so God reminds the nation of Israel and any who are with the nation of Israel as sojourners and foreigners... It is because of God's love that you continue to exist and that my presence continues to be in your midst. It is of God's initiative. Life is His initiative. He creates life. And life is also His initiative in the sense of second life, spiritual life. As Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. Whose initiative is that? That is also God's initiative. And so we must hold as of high importance not only life, but God's sovereignty as it relates to life and all things. Notice in the third place, reverence for God's grace. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. God is under no obligation to save us. God does not owe us anything. We owe Him everything. It is of God's grace that we are not consumed. How could this nation have the Shekinah glory of a thrice holy God present in their midst in the form of the cloud of the pillow of fire at night hovering over the mercy seat? How is that possible? That is possible because of God's grace, something that cannot be earned and is not deserved. But God says, I have given this to you, that a life could be taken so that another life could be spared. 
that you who deserve death because of your sin, the wages of sin is death, you deserve death because of your sin. Sins of uh, commission, sins of omission, as we've talked earlier in Leviticus, sins of ignorance, and sins, as the Bible says, with a high hand. All of these things that come in between us and the one who made us, because he is holy and we are not, all of these things keep us from his presence, but God provided a way. And he reminds the nation of Israel, I took that initiative and I gave this to you, the taking of animal life so that human life could be spared. That is my grace to you. And this atonement, this substitutionary atonement, atones for your souls. That is of utmost importance. That is of highest value. And we are to recognize that as such. And then in the fourth place this morning, reverence then for atonement itself. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. It's a serious thing for life to be ended, for life to be taken. And yet this is the system that God has designed, designed it in ancient Israel. That because of the sacrifice of this animal, a goat or a sheep or a bull, that a human life could have atonement, could receive forgiveness of sins. And so the nation of Israel is to hold as of highest importance and as of utmost value these things. Reverence for God. I believe that is what this passage points us towards. Now what does that mean for us? Does that mean then that in 2022 we need to make sure we eat kosher food? No. We know from the Apostle Paul that the food laws no longer apply. But what does apply? What applies is the principle of this passage. And what is that principle? That principle is that we are also to have reverence for God. And I think as it relates specifically to us in the second place this morning, reverence for Jesus. We say that Jesus is of highest importance to us. We say that we hold as ultimately valuable Jesus Christ. And yet, would our actions and attitudes and words and use of time and resources back that up? How easy it is to forget what is of highest importance. How easy it is to replace that which is of highest importance with things that are of lesser importance. How easy it is to allow our politics to rise above Jesus. How easy it is to allow our theological positions to rise above Jesus Christ the righteous. How easy it is to allow the things of this life to overshadow the things of the life to come. And so we need this reminder. Notice then in the first place the reality for us revering Jesus is reverence for Jesus' rule over life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, he owns you twice because he gave you life and then he gave you new life in him. 
He rules over all life. Colossians 1.16, he made all things. Without him, nothing was made that is made. Everything, every molecule of everything in the universe is owned by, created by, and under the authority of Jesus Christ the righteous. There are no stray molecules in the universe, as Abraham Kuyper would say. It all is his. And we read this in our assurance of pardon. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Do we revere Jesus as the ruler over our lives? Do we give him the importance that he ought to have in our lives? Does he impact what we post online? Does he impact where we spend our money? Does he impact how we spend our time? Does he impact how we speak to people? Does he impact how we treat our enemies? We say that we are followers of Jesus Christ and he is of utmost importance and we revere him. Do we? Do we revere Jesus' sovereignty? We've already mentioned this, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. He rules over all things. And all things, either in this life or in the one to come, will bow the knee and honor him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we say that we do that. We say that we revere him. And yet, do we? Do we listen to what he says? What does Jesus say? By this you will know that you love me if you post on Facebook about how the government is evil. By this, so you know that you love me if you make sure that you denigrate your enemies and let them know how stupid they are in the name of the Lord. No. By this you will know that you love me if you keep my commandments. The more we look like him, the more we show that we actually hold him as of having utmost value and highest importance. You will note that Jesus saves his most scathing rebukes, not for sinners and strugglers who recognize themselves as such, but for the self-righteous who do not believe themselves to be. Jesus is sovereign over all, and that means that he is to have our highest allegiance, and we are to look like him, not our version of him. Not the version of Jesus we've created in our minds, but the one that actually has been revealed to us through Scripture. And all of that, we don't get to pick and choose the Jesus we like. And the third place this morning, reverence for grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace that you are saved. I've looked pretty hard, and I've yet to find in Scripture an arrogant follower of Jesus Christ. We don't find arrogance as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is pride. We don't see that. 
And yet, if we're not reminded continually and consistently that we are who we are, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what He has done, we drift. Well, obviously, God saved me. Look at the deal that He got. I'm amazing. Clearly, God loves me. Look at all the stuff that I've done. One of the scariest verses in all of Scripture, Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, look what we did. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not about a list of the things that we have done. It is about the person that we are trusting in And his grace. And grace is a great humbling reality. Grace ought to produce in us huge amounts of humility. Does it? Is it? I say this, it seems like every single Sunday, but I need it as much as anybody else. You are not here this morning because you are better than anyone else. You are not here because you're better looking. You're not here because you're smarter. You're not here because you figured it out. You are here this morning if you are in Christ this morning because Jesus Christ the righteous opened your heart and mind to see him in all of his glory and you submitted to him as Lord and Savior. That's why you're here. It's all his grace. And lastly, reverence for atonement. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God the Father made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ the righteous, to become sin for us, that we could be made righteous. The greatest transaction ever is our sin, the penalty for our sin placed on Christ and Christ's righteousness granted to us. That's the most amazing substitution that ever has taken place. And it ought to cause us to be grateful How thankful are we? Are we marked by thankfulness? Are we marked by gratitude? Or, like the nation of Israel, have we ceased in even subtle ways to stop revering God and have started to whine and grumble and murmur and complain? The nation of Israel was marked by murmuring and grumbling and complaining. And oftentimes, so are we. But atonement should always make us grateful. We do not deserve any of this. But because of Jesus Christ, it can be ours. Thanks thanks be to God. And last... I make the same mistake as I mentioned off the top. Let me return once again to this reality. Grandparents, parents, all of us, do not give imperatives without starting and ending with indicatives. You'll note in Scripture that God does not give commands until after he gives his promises. God does not give the rules and regulations until he has given himself. Obedience flows from love. 
Adherence flows from mercy and grace. And so do not hear this morning, while I'm not as humble as I should be, and I'm not as obedient as I should be, and I'm not as grateful as I should be, and so I've got to do better to revere God. Please don't hear that. Please hear instead. Jesus is sovereign over all things. Jesus has given you life, and if you're in him, he's given you life a second time. Jesus overflows with grace to you, and Jesus is your substitute. He is the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. is the fulfillment of all the five sacrifices. We looked at the first part of Leviticus. He's the fulfillment of the entire book of Leviticus. He's the fulfillment of the entire Bible. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is Savior. And the question this morning is, do you know Him? If you know Him, He will transform you. <laughs> because Ephesians 2, we oftentimes stop at 8 and 9, but don't forget 10. His grace has come to us so that we would be created for good works. We are His workmanship. Jesus does not love us to the point of salvation. He loves us before salvation, loves us enough to save us, and loves us enough not to leave us where we used to be. He loves us all the way through until one day when we are in his presence, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. The point of this passage, ultimately, is not do better at being reverent, but get to know the one who ought to be revered more and more every day. And in his glorious presence, reverence will come. You cannot be in relationship with the thrice holy God and not revere him. And so I pray this morning, if you are here and you do not know him, please, Yes, he is judge. Yes, he is sovereign. But he is gentle and lowly. And he loves you more than you could possibly imagine, knowing you better than you know yourself. Jesus Christ the righteous does not love a future version of you. Jesus Christ the righteous gave his life for who he already knew you to be. Come to him. And if you do know him here this morning, get to know him more and more. Never forget who you used to be, who you are now in him, and who he is making you to be. And it's all about him. Grace Baptist, from this pulpit and in our homes, my prayer is that we are not focused on the what's, the imperatives, but that we're always focused on the who, the indicatives, for his glory and for our good. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And what a beautiful reality it is that we are to reverence you, which means to hold you as of having utmost value and of highest importance. And yet, Father, we drift continually. Our focus shifts moment by moment away from you. And so our hope has never been or ought never to have been in us. 
as we could not save ourselves, neither can we sanctify ourselves, and we certainly cannot glorify ourselves. So, Father, we need you. And so I pray that we would consistently and frequently run to you and not away from you. You know us infinitely, and you love us deeply, and we thank you for that. Father, we constantly need reminders. It's one of the reasons why we meet weekly every Sunday. It's not just a dreary drudgery, an obligation that we have to go to church, but it's where hopefully we meet you on a weekly basis to remind us of who you are and who we are and who you are making us to be. We need to see you. We need to be reminded of you. We need you to continue to be of utmost importance, of highest value to us. We cannot do that on our own. We need you and we need each other. So, Father, may we revere you. May we revere Jesus, thanking you, him, and your Holy Spirit for what you have done in our lives, continue to do in our lives. And what a joy, what a delight it is to know contentment and peace and purpose and meaning and significance and grace and mercy and truth and contentment and love. And this is so much more, Father, because we are in relationship with you. And you would think that we would never forget when you met us. And yet we frequently do. And thus we frequently need these reminders. Remind us of who you are, Father. Draw us close to you. We pray in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.